You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with breaking news in connection with one of the three recent shootings in downtown Vancouver. Police arresting two people in Monday morning's shooting near East Hastings and Abbott. Grace Key is live at VPD headquarters with more on this breaking story. Grace. Yeah, certainly a significant late afternoon development that happened here. So police have arrested 26-year-old Thomas Joseph Brown and 31-year-old Desiree Cardinal, both of Vancouver. Charges include unlawfully discharging a firearm. Firearm. So this was one of three shootings that happened in the downtown east side in the last uh, in 15-hour period. Our own Global BC Morning News team was actually reporting on the first two when they heard this latest one on Monday morning and then called 911. A 50-year-old man was rushed to hospital with serious injuries. Now, because of the increased crime activity in the area, a lot of that attributed to Oppenheimer Park. More officers have been stationed in the area. Also, a camera and public safety trailer has been set up at Oppenheimer Park. Now, as for the three shootings, police believe there were others involved. So they are appealing for dash cam and cell phone video. So if you were by Hastings and Kiefer just before 4 p.m., on Sunday and then later on in that day around 6 p.m. Uh, 6 p.m. by Dunleavy and Heatley, you're asked to call Vancouver police. Sophie. All right, thanks for that. Grace Key reporting. All right, thanks, Grace. Motorists in this province were told that their rates would either increase or decrease based on their driving habits a little bit uh, a little while ago. However, we are hearing from one driver with uh, a very clean record who is suffering sticker shock after going in to get insurance. Novice drivers are seeing some huge increases in their rates. And as Sarah McDonald reports, that's leaving many of them in a catch-22. If you're among the millions of British Columbians holding an active driver's license, the province's new rating structure for insurance impacts you, for better or for worse. The latter applies to Isabella Bryant, a new driver with a clean record who just received her first set of wheels. I just got my first car recently. The latter applies to Isabella Bryant, a new driver with a clean record who received her first set of wheels last month, even before the new policy kicked in. Because how much my insurance was and I was like, what? The sticker shock hitting even harder for her father, stuck footing the more than $5,000 bill. The cost was going to be about $5,300 for one year. Astonishingly high rates are now the new normal in general for young drivers under ICBC's new rating structure, in which premiums are largely based on a motorist's driving history or their years behind the wheel. Which means the higher costs typically fall on the youngest drivers. And according to the province and ICBC statistics, that high-risk demographic includes inexperienced drivers, which critics say creates a catch-22 of sorts for young adults. This is appalling. Young people are going to school or starting off their careers. They shouldn't be hit with such a massive bill. Who can only acquire a clean record through driving experience before their rates actually drop. We recognize that uh, that newer drivers uh, and more inexperienced drivers need that opportunity to get experience, uh, but we're rebalancing to make it a little bit more fair. If I didn't have help from my parents, I probably wouldn't be able to afford to drive. Fortunately for Isabella, she does have financial help. Otherwise, driving would be out of the question. I, I can't find any words to describe how 
ridiculous paying $5,000 a year to insure a vehicle at at any age. As a ticket to ride on the province's roads grows even pricier for its young adults. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Now, when it comes to ride hailing in this province, one of the biggest challenges is expected to be finding enough class four drivers. One company is announcing a new partnership to help prospective drivers with the two tests that must be taken. Tests that, as Richard Zussman reports, critics believe are poorly thought out. It's more than 280 pages full of information with nothing to do with ride sharing. But it seems if you want a class four license, there's only one way to pass. Study. I actually tried it first uh, without any studying uh, to see whether I could pass it as just a, a good driver. Um, realized I couldn't. The province is requiring all ride sharing drivers to pass a written exam, part of the class four license required by taxi, school bus, limousine, and now ride share drivers. What's a hydraulic driveline retarder? Like Let's I take a look at a few example questions from the test. One asking how many signs reading school bus must be displayed on a vehicle that's being operated as a school bus. Another asking about how often a school bus floor must be washed. I would say 70% of what you learn when you study for the Class 4 uh, has to do with driving large trucks, buses. The province requiring Class 4 because they say it ensures safer drivers. But the study guide doesn't even make a mention of ride sharing, ride hailing, or the more technical term for the industry, TNS. This is the test that we have. This is the test that other drivers take. I mean, not everybody's going to be driving a school bus who takes their Class 4. The BC Liberals are calling on a test and a Class 5 plus system that actually measures a ride-sharing driver's safety level. This particular rule has got nothing to do with safety. It's got everything to do with politics. The head of Wallace Driving School, Steve Wallace, is supportive of the Class 4 requirement. He says the most important part of ensuring a good driver is the driving test. I would think that it's a basic threshold intelligence test. I think that's what they're looking for. If it was myself, I'd be more concerned with the driving on the road and the actual practical test. Every time you write the test, it's a $15 fee to ICBC. And if you fail, drivers have to wait seven days to write it again. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The Transportation Safety Board is investigating a deadly helicopter crash in Campbell River today. RCMP were called to the Taiyi Spit around 11.30 this morning. The locally owned commercial aircraft went down, killing the pilot, the only person on board. Locals say it crashed at the south end of an RV park into a carving shed where Bill Henderson Sr., a respected Northwest Coast native master carver, was working inside and he was lucky to have left the building just moments before. We spoke to his niece about the close call. He was pretty shook up because he was sitting in his carving chair, which is right below where the helicopter crashed on top of the roof. He said, Sandra, I just got out of my chair. Two seconds he stepped away from the chair and he just kept saying, I was sitting right below there. I was sitting right below there, Sandra. He was pretty, he was pretty shook up. No one on the ground was injured. The cause of the crash is still under investigation. 
After 56 witnesses and five months of testimony, today the judge charged the jury in the Andrew Berry double murder trial. Berry pleading not guilty to killing his two young daughters. Rumina Deo was in court and has more on the judge's instructions and the three possible verdicts. Did Andrew Barry have the intent to commit murder? That's what the jury will now decide. There are several key aspects for the jury to consider. Let's start with defense. Kevin McCullough had argued Crown's case is completely circumstantial. There is a complete absence of forensic evidence pointing to Barry as the killer. The girl's blood was not found on Barry's clothing, and investigators did not look for fingerprints on two suspected weapons, the bat and the knife. Barry had testified he was attacked twice and stabbed. Moving on to Crown, Patrick Weir had made the case. The DNA of only three people was found in Barry's suite. Barry, Chloe, and Aubrey, no one else. Barry's evidence about the lone shark and his henchmen was not believable. He hated his ex and his mother. He had no job, no money. He was about to lose custody of his girls. So he killed them and then tried to commit suicide. No one can predict how long it will take for the jury to deliver a verdict. It could be days. There are three possibilities. Guilty as charged on second degree. Guilty of the lesser offense of manslaughter or not guilty. Ramina Dea, Global News. Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou back in court today with her lawyers pushing for more documents accusing Canada of improper conduct as they fight U.S. extradition. Aaron MacArthur explains why defense is arguing Mung's treatment when she was arrested at YVR last December was anything but routine. There has been a lot of talk about routine in this hearing. Crown Counsel, the Attorney General of Canada, has argued what Meng Wanzhou went through when she arrived in Canada was a routine border inspection. Defense has taken issue with that, saying not only was there an arrest warrant out for her issue the day before, but border officials knew what flight she was on and what she looked like right down to what she was wearing when she got on board a plane in Hong Kong. And yet when she landed in Vancouver, she wasn't immediately arrested. Instead, she was detained for two hours and questioned without a lawyer present. Defense argues that only after her phones were seized and passwords were given away, as well as questions asked of Huawei's business dealings in Iran, was she given to the RCMP and then formally arrested. Defense says that's more than enough information to proceed with the hearing and more than enough air of reality to substantiate their claims. The Attorney General's oral arguments have yet to be heard. They expect to make their case in front of Justice Heather Holmes in the days to come. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. RCMP are investigating after someone using a hydro transmission tower for target practice. A significant power outage was reported in a remote part of northern BC last weekend. Upon inspection, hydro crews discovered that a tower located near the 217-kilometer marker of Highway 37 had an insulator string shot out. 170 hydro customers in the area lost power and the vandalism caused tens of thousands of dollars in damage. Anyone with information is asked to contact Stewart RCMP or Crime Stoppers. Roy, now though, expect traffic to be a lot worse than usual in downtown Vancouver tomorrow morning. At least 200 logging trucks are expected to wind their way through the downtown core, protesting forestry job losses. Tetraneki has more on who their message is aimed at and what they want to see done. 
tumbleweed, ready to let go and blow through a now vacant sawmill in Merritt. It's a bleak image for a depressed industry. Every forestry-dependent community right now is suffering, and, and we want to bring that message and that, that message home tomorrow. With these ongoing closures, the truckers who supply raw material suddenly find themselves with not a lot to do. There's been silence for so long, and, and uh, uh, it's not helping us. So tomorrow, they plan to spend the day driving a convoy from Merritt right into Vancouver's crowded downtown core. And the Premier says, bring it. That's part and parcel of a democratic society. We need to hear from everyone. Uh, the fact that contractors are taking their time and bringing their, their, uh, their equipment to downtown Vancouver, I think is a very good thing. It, it awakens, awakens the lower mainland to the challenges in the interior. Today at the UBCM convention, the Premier stood with mayors from around the province who are agreeing to promote safe mass timber technology, like that 18-story wooden high-rise on UBC campus, or this rendering of a 12-story all-wood high-rise planned for Victoria. That may be the future, but it's little comfort to those unemployed now. We have uh, put in place a $69 million fund to address challenges in communities, challenges with workers, and of that, $15 million is directed towards the contractors who will be coming here with their vehicles. Mayors here at the UBCM aren't happy that Victoria is in effect robbing Peter to pay Paul. To come up with that $69 million, the province is cancelling the Rural Dividend Program, where small communities can apply for grants from a $25 million annual fund. It's argued that forestry is the engine that drives BC's economy and the money's better used there. Tomorrow, the convoy leaves Merritt at 9 a.m. with other truckers joining them along the route. They expect upwards of 200 trucks in Vancouver's downtown. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Well, the Premier is being held to his promise to upgrade a deadly logging road on Vancouver Island. The road links Port Alberni and Bamfield, and it's the site of a crash earlier this month that killed two UVic students. Today, First Nations met with Horgan to find out how and when the province will deliver on that promise. Kylie Stanton reports. When this bus skidded off the road, killing two of the 48 passengers inside, it was the last straw. For more than a decade, calls to upgrade the stretch linking Port Alberni and Bamfield have gone unanswered. But today, behind closed doors, its future is finally being discussed. We're going to start with uh, a public discussion amongst ourselves, and then we're going to draw in those uh, other uh, stakeholders, and we're going to find a way forward to make that road safer. The meeting between Premier John Horgan, First Nations and municipal leaders in the area focused on the safety improvements needed on the logging road, which is privately operated and maintained by Western Forest Products. But over the years, it's being used more often by the public as tourism to the area continues to grow. It's uh, the best place in the world to go for fishing, uh, hiking the West Coast Trail. There are lots and lots of folks that are, are coming out um, but they are disappointed with the road. At the very least, they're hoping to see it chip-sealed with barriers, potentially paving some sections. Even prior to the crash, the Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure had been working on an engineering report. But now the Premier has committed to visiting the area this November to review it, leaving all parties cautiously optimistic. We've committed to, to some timelines in terms of the work that needs to be done. Uh, so, so uh, again, the meeting was very encouraging. It's further than we've gotten to this point. 
Um, that said, we, you know, we want to now see progress. But the fact it has taken a tragedy to highlight the safety concerns remains a source of frustration. This group is determined to see the plans through so it never happens again. It's un so unfortunate uh, that lives were lost and I, I, hate, I would hate for them to be in vain. Um, so, you know, I think we're, we're all collectively in agreement that something has to be done. Kylie Stanton, Global News. The NDP government is celebrating a big court victory in its ongoing battle with Alberta over the Trans Mountain Pipeline. A federal court has suspended Alberta's so-called turn-off-the-taps law, at least temporarily. That law designed to put some pressure on B.C. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria right now with the details and the reaction. And of course, Keith, we are talking about a law that's never actually been used. Yeah, it was actually passed into law uh, by the previous Alberta government of the NDP uh, and proclaimed by Jason Kenney United Conservatives, but never enacted. So uh, the issue here in front of the federal court uh, was basically, should Alberta have this right? Basically arguing that constitutionally, Alberta should not have the right to arbitrarily punish a province in this manner. The federal court ruling uh, to give BC a temporary injunction saying that this law were to be enacted would cause irreparable harm to BC and just prevent Alberta from not enacting it essentially uh, presents an inconvenience to Alberta. So the weight here goes to BC. An injunction's been granted. David Eby, the Attorney General, obviously pleased. Jason Kenney, though, the Premier of Alberta, not too happy with what the federal court had to say. When we raise concerns about the constitutionality of Alberta's Bill 12, um, they resisted having the constitutionality heard uh, in Alberta. They resisted having the same arguments heard in the federal court. Uh, they did not want a court, apparently, to rule on the constitutionality of this legislation. And so we're pleased that today we know that we will be going ahead in the federal court. Uh, British Columbia has lost on its threats to impede uh, Alberta energy. The BC Appeal Court ruled unanimously that their, their threat to do so was unconstitutional. So we believe that, that essentially their, the threats that provoked the adoption of Bill 12 have largely disappeared as a result of other court decisions. Well, so what happens now, Keith? Well, you can be sure lawyers are going to continue to be very active here. So this case now it goes back to the uh, federal court uh, to determine the constitutional question. That hasn't been answered yet here. It's simply an injunction has been granted. B.C. also seeking leave to go in front of the Supreme Court of Canada on its case. It arguing that B.C. should be able to control what flows through that pipeline. It's lost at the Court of Appeal level. And we'll see what happens in the Supreme Court level. There's still a lot of things to come here, Chris. Uh, a lot of lawyers are going to be busy for some time. Mm -hmm. It's a long way off. Thanks very much, Keith. All right. The federal election campaign shifted focus today to the environment, a key issue for voters, according to the polls. Catherine McKenna, who had been serving as environment minister, promising today the Liberals will commit Canada to net zero emissions by 2050 and provide training and opportunities to transition workers to clean energy. That the science shows that we need to be net zero by 2050 and that is ambitious. That is ambitious for the countries that signed up for it, for the businesses. But that's the kind of ambition we need. And we're going to do this in a way that I hope takes us out of the political realm. Green Party leader Elizabeth May says the Liberals are trying to fool voters by greenwashing their platform and that their promises lack urgency. They're putting a promise out there for 30 years from now. I need to know what they're going to do in two years, in 
18 months. I need to know what they're going to do by 2025 because their current target, and I want to be very clear about this, the current target that the liberals are holding to makes it impossible for them to keep this new promise. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh headed west to Winnipeg to highlight his climate plan. West from the Atlantic province is where he was yesterday, including electric transit fleets, distributing clean power and respecting indigenous communities. And conservative leader Andrew Scheer was in Ontario, promising to help small businesses by repealing the tax on small business investments and reducing red tape. But he faced questions about why he has not yet said where he'll get the money for his promises and how he'll get back to balanced budgets. Well, I can allay the fears by having fully costed platform announcements when we announce them, by showing Canadians exactly where the costing comes from, and by assuring them that we are going after things like corporate welfare. And Liberal leader Justin Trudeau is back in B.C. for the first time since the black and brown face controversy broke, appearing tonight at a rally in Surrey. Global's Abigail Beeman joins us live from that event. And Abigail, Trudeau was focused on the environment today, but once again, his announcement lacked specifics. That's right. And you heard some of that from Catherine McKenna. Trudeau committing that a re-elected Liberal government will bring Canada to net zero emissions by 2050. Trudeau also promising to cut corporate tax in half for businesses that are working on net zero technologies. But again, Trudeau was slammed for not offering more specifics. It's a, it's a big goal, as you heard Elizabeth May say, and Trudeau was not saying exactly how he would get that done. After his announcement in Burnaby this morning, he went on to have his first sit-down interview since the blackface stories broke, and that was with Global National's Donna Friesen, who asked him about a variety of topics. Trudeau told Donna that he has not worn blackface since 2001. That's a new piece of information. He would not previously confirm 2001 being the year that first photo was taken that surfaced. Trudeau, uh, Donna also pressed Trudeau as to whether there are some other other instances troubling in his past. Here's some of that exchange. I asked you if there are any more skeletons in the closet that you've disclosed to your staff. I think we've all done things that we are unhappy with uh, and things that we learn from, and I'm no different than anybody else. So there could be other things. I'm, there could I'm be no other different occasions. than anyone. People know I'm not perfect, but people also know what I stand for. Some developing news in the past hour. We learned that NDP leader Jagmeet Singh took a phone call from Justin Trudeau. Now, Trudeau had previously said he would be apologizing to Singh over the blackface incidents, but both camps are saying it was a private conversation. It lasted about 15 to 20 minutes. And worth noting, the NDP leader Jagmeet Singh is also in BC tonight. Mm -hmm. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Abigail Beeman reporting for us tonight from the Trudeau campaign. Quite the sight in Indonesia thanks to air pollution. Hmm. The red sky caused by a phenomenon called Mie scattering, named after mathematician Gustav Mie. It happens when microparticle pollutants essentially scatter the sunlight. The images went viral with people comparing local conditions to the planet Mars. More calls tonight for the resignation of British Prime Minister Boris Johnson after an historic decision from the country's Supreme Court. Prevented Parliament from carrying out its constitutional role. 
The court ruling that Johnson acted illegally when he suspended Parliament during the debate over Brexit. That makes him the only British leader ever to be told by the country's highest court that he broke the law and misled the Queen. Johnson says he will respect the ruling and reconvene Parliament, but he will not resign. Yet another political bombshell tonight in Washington, D.C., the latest fallout from Donald Trump's conversation with the president of Ukraine. Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who's been resisting calls from within her own party to start impeachment proceedings against the president, announced today this latest controversy has forced her hand. Late this afternoon, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced a formal impeachment inquiry into President Trump. The actions of the Trump presidency revealed dishonorable fact of the president's betrayal of his oath of office, betrayal of our national security, and betrayal of the integrity of our elections. The move is a big turnaround for Pelosi, who has so far resisted impeachment action. The president must be held accountable. No one is above the law. President Trump, late today, defiant in his response. It's just a continuation of the witch hunt. It's the worst witch hunt in political history. How can you do this and you haven't even seen the phone call? President Trump today promising to release a full transcript of his controversial phone call with Ukraine's president. Amid questions about whether he pressured the foreign leader to investigate former Vice President Joe Biden and Biden's son. The Washington Post reports the president ordered his chief of staff to withhold $400 million in military aid to Ukraine days before the call. The president acknowledged he withheld aid, but seemed to both deny and admit he pressured Ukraine. There was no pressure put on them whatsoever, but there was pressure put on with respect to Joe Biden. What Joe Biden did for his son, that's something they should be looking at. The president trying to turn the tables on Biden, who this afternoon demanded the White House give Congress a whistleblower complaint about the Ukraine call. He continues to obstruct Congress and flout the law. Donald Trump will leave Congress, in my view, no choice but to initiate impeachment. And late today, word the whistleblower has reached out to House and Senate Intelligence Committees to tell lawmakers what really happened. Susan McGinnis, NBC News, Washington. The wife of TV personality Kevin O'Leary has been charged in connection with a fatal crash involving a boat owned by the Shark Tank star. Linda O'Leary is charged with careless operation of a vessel and will appear in court next month. If convicted, she could face 18 months in jail or a fine of up to a million dollars. Her lawyer says she'll fight the charges. The operator of the other boat has also been charged for not having visible running lights. Two passengers on that boat died in the crash. In Health Matters tonight, the new battle over vaping is moving to Metro Vancouver's public transit system. As Catherine Urquhart reports, an anti-tobacco and nicotine group is calling on TransLink to take down huge ads for e-cigarettes in some SkyTrain stations. Welcome to Vipe Station. At Granville Station, a small but passionate protest. Reaction to a series of large vaping ads at SkyTrain stations. It's full of nicotine, the most addictive drug known, and people are getting hooked, most often as teens and even pre-teens, and the industry has a customer for an albeit shortened life. And I'm, I'm angry about that. The large posters are for Vipe, a brand of vape pens and juices, which is owned by Imperial Tobacco, one of the world's largest cigarette companies. I don't think they should advertise vaping. 
Yes, I'm okay with this. It's up to you if you want to if you want to go ahead and vape. With an increasing number of respiratory illnesses in Canada and the U.S. now linked to vaping, the anti-smoking group Airspace is demanding the ads be removed. As far as I'm concerned, Vipe has bought this, bought and given who knows how many tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to TransLink in order to advertise their addictive and deadly product here. Vaping product advertising is legal according to Health Canada. And because TransLink is a public body, we are bound to respect the Charter of Rights and Freedoms when it comes to freedom of expression. This means because the product is legal, we are unable to reject the ad. While vaping ads are legal now, Health Canada has a review underway, saying it intends to address the rising popularity of vaping, especially amongst Canadian youth. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. In other health news, for the first time, a major health organization is issuing guidelines on the growing use of CBD oil to treat pain. The Arthritis Foundation is acknowledging that while there is no scientific proof that cannabis extract helps with pain, people are using it and reporting benefits. So the foundation has issued guidelines for arthritis patients that include starting with a low dose and slowly building up, buying from reputable companies, and most importantly, checking with a doctor first. Apple is billing the new iPhones as more durable and reliable. After the forecast, how they really stood up to the drop, tumble and water tests. Right now, though, let's check in uh, with Christy. We just hit fall <laughs> and already we're talking about winter. Yes. Now, no, it's not for all areas in the lower mainland, but yes, some areas of the province could see winter this weekend, believe it or not. So this is what we'll be talking about. First of all, on Wednesday, uh, we do have a soaker on the way. So a major system still to talk about in the short term, but it's a long term that the drop in temperature will happen over the weekend. Very cold. So here's a look at what's going on. Here's the first one, the soaker targeting the north and central coast tomorrow. Still dry for Metro Vancouver, but mainly cloudy. But we'll see the rain push in tomorrow evening, likely around seven or eight. And it will be wet overnight into our Thursday morning. And then that system moves out pretty Pretty quickly, And we've got a lot of sunshine on the way for the weekend, but it's going to get cold, mainly in through the prairie provinces, but that's going to filter into our region as well. Using Kelowna as an example, look at the drop from 19 tomorrow as a high to a high of only 10 degrees on Sunday, and the overnight lows could be close to the freezing mark. These are the highs for Calgary, 16 tomorrow down to minus one potentially on Sunday. So yes, a big blast of Arctic air. Here's a look at what we'll see into Saturday early morning, potential for snow over higher elevations for BC and put snow pushing into Alberta and then that Arctic air really plunges down and by Sunday into Monday parts of Alberta, Saskatchewan and potentially into BC have the chance of seeing some snow. Now this is days away, it's just a heads up but here's an idea of what you could be looking at but there's a lot of uncertainty because we're still so many days away so keep tuning back in over the weekend. At the very least it's going to get chilly. There's a rainfall for the north coast tomorrow. Rain pushing into those areas later in the day. Sunshine still for the southern BC region, whereas the south coast will see mainly cloudy skies. But tomorrow night, it is certainly going to get wet. We'll start to see it push in around the evening hours, right into our Thursday morning. And then over the weekend, it does get cold. Not as cold for our area, but we'll feel the chill in the air overnight, but at least some sunshine for everyone. All right. And... 
Here's a look what's coming up on Global's Prime Time tonight. First of all, NCIS, then FBI, and then New Amsterdam for you. And I'll end things off with a look at your weather window for tonight. A little bit of fog is possible in through the interior regions with the clear skies overnight tonight. Love. Thanks to Rhiannon for that one. That was from this morning. Lovely picture. Thank you very much, Christy. Well, when Apple released its new iPhone 11, it promised these phones would be more durable, more reliable. So an insurance company has put them to the test and released some video to go along with it. Let's take a look. The test found all of the various iPhone 11's glass still shattered when dealing with major drops, but they did handle the small drops better than previous models. The iPhone 11 Pro was the first phone to survive their TumbleBot test. And for the dunk test, the iPhone 11 and iPhone 11 Max both suffered audio distortion, but the iPhone 11 Pro had no issues after being submerged in five feet of water for half an hour. It's like $2,000 or something. Oh, is ridiculous it? Yes. Though. Yikes. It's crazy. How many people have dropped their iPhone in a spinning box? Has that ever happened to you? Never happened to me. Well, I'm thinking that down the stairs, that type Certainly of. tumbled exactly. Mm -hmm. now, don't it's use your iPhone like a slinky. Old toy reference. Well, just when you thought all the pieces had come together, mm. one breaks. That's right. Like that iPhone. Exactly when it goes tumbling in a box. Or gets hit from behind. That's also a problem. Smashed into the boards. Yeah, shattered his glass, you might want to say. Uh, Brock Besser won't be playing any more exhibition games this year, and we aren't really sure if he'll be able to play the first regular season game on October 2nd because he has been put in concussion protocol after last night's game against Ottawa, the one they played out in Abbotsford. In fact, defenseman Oscar Fantenberg, whom the Canucks picked up in the offseason, also is in concussion protocol from a hit during last night's game. Besser, who has now had more than his share of injuries over a short period of time with the Canucks, was hurt on this play. Watch. Gets hit from behind, and basically it's the old face first into the boards. Kind of in that danger zone where you're just far enough away that your neck snaps back. He kept playing, but uh, didn't feel great when the game was over and wisely precaution has taken over and now he will sit the rest of the preseason. As for the game itself, the Canucks beat Ottawa 6-4 in Abbotsford. Yes, it was exhibition. Yes, it was Ottawa. But just the same, you are allowed to get jacked up about four power play goals and leading that power play was Elias Pettersson. Good crowd. One of the main guys out there. JT Miller looking good in the power play in front of the net. Pedersen finds him. But we want to show you this goal by Pedersen, and we had a very good angle of it. Watch how he sets himself up for the shot, just like you see Alex Ovechkin do. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And as the goalie comes across, he goes to the far side of the net, not to the short side. As the goalie's coming across, he goes the other way. That's former Canuck Anders Nilsson. But take one more look. Here we go, slow-mo. Head down, head up now, looking where it's going, right to the far corner. Oh, and Jordy Ben made like his brother Jamie and scored a nice power play, not a power play, but a breakaway goal here. Scores. Fear the beard. Canucks win it 6-4. Two exhibition game. Keeps him warm. <laughs> After all, they are playing on ice. Good point. Uh, one of the BC Lions' big offseason signings was receiver Deron Carter. 
who really hasn't had the season that everyone envisioned. But then again, how many Lions have? One thing about Carter, he is kind of like a Swiss Army knife on the football field. He's not an NFL Hall of Famer like his father Chris Carter was, but he's certainly more versatile than his dad. During his time in the CFL, Deron Carter has been multifaceted. He, of course, catches passes for the Lions. In Saskatchewan, he was actually a defensive back for a while. And last week, he even threw a touchdown pass for BC. Deron Carter's going to throw, and wide open it is Shaq Johnson. I'm just trying to extend my career, man. You know, the more I can do, the longer I can play. Using Carter as a pop-up quarterback has been successfully tried twice this year. The first time, he hit Lamar Durant who himself was a quarterback in high school. He's always talking about it, you know, he's always like, I'm the best quarterback around, I'm the best uh, receiver that can play quarterback, all this. But then he goes out on the field and two shots he had, he threw some bombs. I think he threw both ones like 55, 60 yards. Lamar just said that Duran does a lot of chirping, that he probably is good enough to be a backup quarterback. <laughs> yeah, he does talk a lot about that. The fact that he put up um, that, that touchdown pass to me, he probably won't stop actually for the rest of the season. So, hey, who knows? We might see more. <laughs> when they do ask Deron Carter to throw the ball, everything must work perfectly because unlike Mike Riley throwing it, Deron Carter won't have the offensive line blocking for him. Lamar having to decide which blocker is, is the most dangerous for me to get it off. Uh, Shaq has to, you know, sort of fake his defender out and act like he's blocking so he leaves him. I mean, it's just, there's just so many rotating parts. When you break from the huddle and you know he's going to throw, what are you thinking? I'm just thinking, all right, just make sure, remember what coach told you, sell the look, and don't drop that ball. <laughs> Do you know your record as a thrower in the CFL? Oh, man, I think I'm... Three for four, something like that. Yeah, one touchdown. I'm pretty. I'm pretty good. I got one incompletion, and my one incompletion was because my receiver stopped running, and he didn't trust me, and he turned around and he stopped running, and I threw it over his head. So I. So in my head, I'm a hundred percent. Let's take someone else's child to work day. Samoa against Russia, World Cup rugby, Japan. Look at this inside pass. Catch that. Ed Fido will score the uh, try there. Ray Nuawa made the pass. There it is again. That's tricky. And then Samoa basically runs away from the Russians. This is Ray Lilo going in. 34-9 the final for Samoa over Russia. There you go. A Surrey firefighter who spent a career battling flames and stereotypes is retiring tomorrow. As Linda Aylesworth reports, she is calling it a career after blazing a trail for women for nearly three decades. Captain Nancy Innes of the Surrey Fire Service has been coming to the rescue for 27 years and loving it. It's problem solving with a lot of adrenaline because, you know, there's fire billowing out or somebody's trapped in a car. But tomorrow is her last shift. Hi, Nancy is retiring. Good to see you. Final day? Yeah, this is it. Congrats. It's a big deal in anyone's life, but particularly so in her case, because Nancy is a trailblazer. I didn't know when I applied that there was no women, because it was 1992. It wasn't 1952. <laughs> Nancy was one of the first two female firefighters in Metro Vancouver. She got the idea after seeing a recruitment poster and decided to do a little research. I just went to the SFU library, went on the microfiche, 
and there was um, headlines from some departments that said, I will never hire a woman. If anything, it made her more determined. I'll try my hardest, and if I don't get hired, I'll try again. And when she got the news while camping that the job was hers... I was up in Merritt at a payphone booth with my sister, and we started dancing around the payphone booth. <laughs> but how long would that excitement last? Would the men accept her as an equal? It was a novelty. It was new. These were the first professional firefighters in British Columbia who were women, and it was an unknown. Well, we had to prove physically. I think that was the biggest thing for the men, to prove physically that we could do the job. That was no problem. Today, there are 15 female firefighters in Surrey. Natalie Watson is one of them. Sometimes fires are stubborn, and it takes a lot of effort to like, tear down walls and ceilings to put out, and it's just a lot of fun. Fun that a lot of women are missing out on. We haven't come far enough in that women don't think of it as a career. So there's not enough women applying, and I'd really like women to realize that it is a really great career. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Oh, awesome. It's a great story. Yeah, congratulations on an amazing mm. career, and thank you for all you've put into it. Mm -hmm. uh, last word on weather before we go. Mostly dry tomorrow. By tomorrow evening, maybe around 7 or 8, uh, we're expecting the rain to push in and it will be wet Wednesday night into Thursday morning and then chilly over the weekend. Single-digit overnight lows? Yes. First time since May that we've seen temperatures that low. Not prepared for that. Thanks for watching. Good night, everyone.